The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news, merch reviews, and other geeky goodness. Whether you're a wizard, a Sith Lord, or a superhero, fuel your fandom at thepopinsider.com. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. to another episode of Wookiee Radio. It is the Smugglers 3, Ken, Derek, myself, Mike. And this week, we are being joined by the host of the Rebel Roses podcast, uh, newer newer show, uh, and it's Rachel. How's everyone doing? Pretty good. How about Not you guys? I, I am beat. <laughs> I will just say that. Yeah. Um, I'm learning probably one of the most intense positions at Epcot, entertainment-wise, outside of fireworks, and it's kicking my butt at the moment, Wow. which is absolutely That's- fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're like, it's awesome. I'll learn whatever. Just I'll take a nap. It, it is awesome. And <laughs> yeah, um, I am trying to remember you... I think we connected originally when we had, uh, oh, trying to remember the guest. Is it Ross? Yes. When we had Ross on the show. Ross Ambridge. Yeah. He's He's been uh, a frequent uh, guest on my podcast and he's kind of like our Wookiee in resident. He hardly ever misses a show. And like, I, I love Ross. He's he's my Wookiee brother from another mother. He, he really is just the nicest person person and has some of the most amazing stories and he's so you know kind of gracious with us when we kind of sit there and just geek out completely oh he was so awesome to have on the show uh derek wasn't able to make it but it was uh ken and i we did that interview Mm-hmm. So he's he's fairly amazing with all of the stories and and with all of the experiences, but then all of the stuff like he's just a, a really supremely kind person. Um, he did my solo two script reading uh, 
uh, whenever we did that on Jericho Keen's channel um, for the first reading, I've been, I really want to do a second one, but I attempted it and just couldn't get any, you know, the amount of people I needed to do and read every part. But he, he, he read for Chewbacca. He read for uh, an original character I created called Ezra Taub, um, who's kind of like a, uh, he's kind of a Boba Fett type bounty hunter person within the the very beginnings of uh the empire when they start to take hold after order 66 and then uh i know and he's never going to forgive me i made him read java the Hutt, and i found a uh Hutt-tease translator so i was like i can use original languages awesome so i just like piled it in there <laughs> that sounds pretty cool it's awesome i had a lot of fun that day it was pretty Jabba. amazing. That's why I want to do it so bad. Java approved oh, as well. It, it, I swear that that like he just after we did the first rehearsal, he was just like, "Can you cool it on the Hutties just a little bit?" <laughs> it, I mean, it was like paragraphs of dialogue in Hutties, and it's kind of like, and then the Wookie, the Wookie was just as bad because it was just lines of you know, just like noises. Right. And I was like, I'm sorry. Ross. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your show. Well, uh, Rebel Roses is kind of uh, the way I've the easiest way to describe it is I kind of treat it like it's my living room. Like uh, you guys, I consider everybody, you know, in the Star Wars community, you know, for the most part, my family, because that's kind of how you guys have always treated me. And that's how I try to, you know, reciprocate. But I kind, of, I kind of just look at it as, you know, having everybody come in my living room. We sit around and we talk about, you know, either a topic um, with the channel chats. They're more topic based. Um, I've got the unbeatable uh, bowl channel challenge, which I still reign supreme in. Uh, nobody has been able to best me. Uh, I've been trying to get Braxium to step up, but so far the guys haven't accepted to the challenge. So, so um, was, Ross has done it a few times. What's this bowl challenge? Okay, the bowl challenge essentially came into being because my friend bought me a knitting bowl and I had no practical use for it because it was too light for anything. So I started doing the ladies nights and I would write up, you know, quiz questions or little comments like would you rathers and that sort of thing. And then I have developed it into uh, a challenge where you guys like say if you guys were coming on to do it, you could compete by yourself or all together. If you competed by yourself, your score would be based on your answers alone. If you competed together, it would be a group thing. If you had a question that you couldn't answer, then you could ask the other guys and have a consortium of you know, you know, what's the right answer here, which one we want to go with. And then you could do that. If you can't answer it, you can say a tap out word. Like, uh, I believe we've used Porg and uh, Wicket. Uh, I can't remember any of the other ones. Like, I think Murder Bears was Brandon's tap word for the Ewoks. Um, but, and then you can get help from the chat, uh, but it can be any topic. It doesn't have to be Star Wars centric. I've done one on, uh, films only with, uh, Adam from a certain point of view podcast. I've done music and, uh, kind of Marvel-esque type stuff with, a uh, uh, no one is Chris, um, it's just pretty much anything, but essentially it's 160 questions. They're worth a point a piece. 
Uh, and then there's a hundred zingers in there. And the zingers are kind of the funner questions that don't count against you. They're the, you know, would you rathers or you have to pick one and, you know, lose the other ones forever type situations. And it's just, you know, they do tend to run long and be kind of long shows. I think the last one we did was five and a half hours. Oh, wow. Uh, but it was incredibly fun. Like it's, it's always, you know, we're always laughing our butts off, but it's also kind of really cool to find knowledge. I like doing the research is why I enjoy it so much because I don't use questions from any kind of like source that I know you guys would have like a book with, you know, quiz questions or the boxes or the, you know, the trivial pursuit cards or anything. I just do a deep dive into the topic you choose, whatever it is. And then I find facts from that topic and I turn them into questions. Okay. That sounds really fun. It is. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Like I, I really do enjoy doing it because it's, it can be funny. And I mean, it really is a, the luck of the draw because I number all of the the little slips of paper when I pull them out. I give you a choice of like five, whatever you pick, you have to stick with. There's no putbacks. So if you get stuck, you can, you know, kind of ask for help with the tap out word. Or, you know, like I said, if you guys operated as a group, uh, I think Shabby, Mark from uh, Blue Harvest Toys, Ross was on that one. And who's the third person? I can't remember. I think it was just Mark, uh, Shabby. Shabby, Mark, and Ross did a, uh, a great British Bowl take, uh, takeover. And nobody, nobody, nobody beat it. <laughs> and that was, I think that was the five, five and a half hour show. But it was so much fun. Oh, wow. So what's the best score you've had on there so far? The best score... Technically, if you're going by the rules, um, would be shabby. He got 21. Um, Brandon, uh, Apprentice Ewok, got 41. But that was with everybody pressuring me to give him half points and, and give him, you know, kind of a leeway on some questions, which I did. Um, but I've, I've stated since then, no more freebies. <laughs> You've got to know the whole answer. Okay. Well, you know, guys, that sounds just as much fun as... A little round of Smuggler's Feud. He always says this is fun. (laughs) (laughs) What is Smuggler's Feud? We're not hearing you, Derek. Uh Uh-oh. So, Smuggler's Feud, since you asked what it was... Uh, basically, it's it's based loosely on Family Feud and the Star Wars edition. Instead of one side going until they get three strikes and then the other side trying to steal and verse, go back and forth. Each round, you either get a correct answer or a strike. Uh, Mission first team to get a, a strike or first team to get three strikes. <laughs> really should be proved I do, that. I do need to prove Or write it down. I need to write it down, too. Uh, this yeah, just was not the week for at it. At the very least. Um, in case both teams get three strikes, same round, whoever got the highest answer wins the game. If one team gets three strikes, the other team is able to get a correct answer or is they answer correctly without getting a third strike, then, of course, obvious winners. If we sweep the card, which has happened like twice, highest score wins as well in the tiebreak. So I have three cards, Rachel. One, two, or three. No. Uh, we'll go. We'll go two. 
for R2. Name okay, five answers on the board. So this can be a quick round. Happy Derek? Yes. <laughs> uh, five answers on the board. Name an article of clothing you would wear to disguise yourself on the Death Star. An Imperial uniform. Be more specific, please. Stormtrooper. Number one answer. What was the actual answer? Stormtrooper armor or just? Stormtrooper armor. Okay. Mm. But take her initial answer as a clue as well. Everyone. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of these you got to shut off your Star Wars brain sometimes. This one might not be. So Wookiee Radio. What do you think, Derek? Mm-hmm. More specific than Imperial uniform. You want to use maybe a TIE fighter costume or, or not costume, but uniform or um, Imperial gunner? Or why Officer? Not? Uh, yeah. Which one? Let's do Imperial Officer. Number two. Is it my turn again? It's back to Rachel. I believe so. Uh, I, I like I, you guys almost said it a minute ago, or you did say it. Like the the Imperial Tie Fighter pilot. Mm. Hey, with this answer, I now I have. I, I gotta go now. Okay. Because because hmm. the answer it could be could cover so many different things. I, we're, I'm still not hearing any of yeah, the Yeah, we're sound. not hearing the sound effects, but that's fine. Um, uh, okay. So it's so, not an Imperial TIE fighter. That's not on there. Okay. No. Mm-hmm. And we'll go to my other. Because that's we'll not coming off my interface. Derek, what do you think? Think Imperial Gunner might be up there? Or Death Star Gunner? Uh, sure. Give it a shot. Why not? <laughs> I know y'all heard oh, that one. Okay, we heard it that time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. De- Why is it popping up down there now? Oh my lord! I, if it's my turn again, I'd, I'd have to say like the most obvious one would be Darth Vader's uniform. <laughs> really? Wow. You know what, Derek? Sometimes they get a little weird. How about a Tie Fighter helmet? <laughs> sure. Why not? I'll give it helmet. Okay, a helmet in general. A helmet in general. Hmm. So how many are how many are two left? That was number three. Two left. Four and five. I cannot think of the name of the suit that Jen Urso was wearing in Rogue One. You're thinking too deep, oh. Rachel. Too too deep. Okay. Yeah. Also, this was made um, right around the time of uh, Force Awakens, so. Um, you gotta think this was made for general audiences, not just Star Wars fans. Mm. Is there such a thing as a general audience well, when it comes to Star Wars? Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, yes, there is. Can you repeat the question? Name an article of clothing you would wear to disguise yourself on the Death Star. A, a robe, maybe like a Jedi robe. I'll give it robe or cape. Answer is cape, but robe or cape. cape. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'll give robe. I was going to say a cape. Cape ain't that... going to do much. It will if you wear it well, like a robe. <laughs> well, unless you're Lando Calrissian. I mean, come on. Well, Lando's, Lando's a special case. Lando that'll... and Vader have swag, and that's that's the reason yeah. why their capes get a pass. How many strikes yeah, but... do we have already, Mike? That'll bring uh, it's Rachel has two. Uh, we have one. You guys have one. Hello, what have we here? Hey, I heard that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I had it in my head a second ago. Um, how about Derek? Uh, just armor. I think that's already been said, hasn't it? Was general yeah. armor or was it stormtrooper armor that we got earlier? It was stormtrooper armor. Oh, yeah, but I think I think I think armor was said first, and then it had to be more specific. No, it was imperial uniform was said first. Yeah. Well, we've only got one strike. You want to go for it? <laughs> 
I guess. Do you have a better idea? Mm, not that I can think of at the moment. So you're going Let's for go armor. Mm. Ah. It's okay. It's only two strikes. The only there's only two things I can think of, and I don't know if either of them would be right. Probably not. <laughs> Knowing this game, I'm gonna guess Praetorian Guard. Mm. Te- technically, that was Star Killer Base, uh, not the Death Star. Oh well, there were Praetorian Guards on on Star Killer, weren't there? No, they were with Snoke on his ship. Crap. Yeah, it would have been just Imperial Guard. Uh, um, yeah. On Star. Answer correctly, Whoopi Radio, and get the win. If not, win goes to Rose's podcast. Like maybe a jumpsuit or a flight suit, pilot's flight suit. Yeah, let's go with flight suit. Black suit, number four. A jumpsuit. Really? Just black suit? Well, I guess that is the motif. <laughs> That's why Imperial Gunner, TIE Fighter, they're all black jumpsuits. It's like... <laughs> He's sitting here like, more. That's, too spe- that's a time, it's almost too specific of an answer. <laughs> Wait, yeah, it needed to be more vague. <laughs> needed to be more vague. Mm. So, um, so the score is, it's all tied up. Other Creators, 15. Wookiee Radio, 15. Mm. I've got, I've, I've got to rewatch The Force Awakens, apparently. <laughs> Which I mean, I've, 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 30 times here. I've, <laughs> but I mean, like, all right, like you were using a card. See, I like uh, I, I go and I do research and I pull stuff up. Yeah. Like I found I found in the like the toy episode uh, that I did with Shabby by himself. And then even on the two previous solo Wookiee challenges. I found things that even Ross was like, um, can I look in the book? No, there's no books and no Google. <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, that's just one of the one of the two things we do. We do the channel chats. We do the incredible, uh, the impossible challenge, um, which I mean, it's, you know, set up as a challenge. But everybody gets a choice of merch from my merch shop on Public, So everybody ends up with a T-shirt because everybody likes T-shirts. Um, and then uh, we do a, a segment called Fact Fiction or The Force, where we take fan theories about things that uh, could have possibly have happened in any of the uh, the you know any of the films, any of the TV series. Like you know, if you had a headcanon about something, we kind of really kind of almost mythbuster it. We we do you know a lot of research, try to test its metal and see if it would stand up. Um, we also do, uh, the artist spotlight. The last one I just got done doing with, uh, Chris Chappelle over, uh, little Chewy. And that was pretty awesome. We got to see some behind the scenes stuff that he was working on for little Chewy. So that was a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. Um, I've had a couple of, uh, other artists on there, the fan, fan artists, uh, Rainbow Rain did, an immortal cut and an Annie Dollar Annie Dollar cut. Uh, I had the um, girl Sarah, the tiny witch that draws, that did my cover art for Edge of Hope. Um, I had uh, Jericho's girlfriend Gabby on. She's a photographer. And then I had um, Greg Ruth, who is an incredible artist that has done so many amazing pieces of Star Wars art, but then so many just plain pieces of art from different, you know, pulp classic films to comic work. 
Um, he worked for DC at one point. He's worked on um, two books now with uh, Ethan Hawke. Um, so that was pretty incredible just because he was very candid and like it, it was a really interesting discussion. And he was, you know, kind of like he didn't hide his opinions about anything, which is awesome. And not to mention like the entire kind of room that we were interviewing Greg from like his artist studio. It really did at times kind of feel like you were looking around the room, trying to take in every piece of everything that was there. Cause it really did kind of, at one point, I think somebody in the chat was like, did who said Jumanji? Cause like, it feels like we're in Jumanji with all of this stuff. Yeah. It, it was a lot of fun, but mainly it's just where, you know, everybody can come talk about what they want to talk about. You know, we don't cover religion or politics. Um, I don't tend to usually like cover reviews of the shows or the films or, or books or anything like that. Cause I kind of like looking at the characters as people. And I, that's what the channel chats, what I'm trying to do is um, work my way completely and totally through every character in Star Wars, whether it's a main character, a side character, or, you know, like Imperial dude number five in the background. I, I want to learn as much as I can about all of the characters, the vehicles, the, the creatures, the planets, and just kind of build my knowledge as much as possible. Well, we, we were talking in chat on Twitter before, um, as we were trying to set this up, uh, and you mentioned um, as a potential subject matter, uh, the Rebel Alliance, how their political aspirations held the rebellion back in, in clutch moments and the changes that were implemented to safeguard against that sort of uh, inaction after the destruction of Jeddah and Alderaan. Yeah, I always found uh, like that one scene in Rogue One very interesting. I mean, we get to see Mon Mothma and, you know, some of the, the generals and we get kind of Bail Organa stepping forward a bit out of the, the shadows. But you do kind of at that one scene where they've come back with the information from Galen Erso from Jeddah and they're, you know, making this report to the council and pleading with them to, you know, go after the plans. You have to do this. This is the most necessary thing you need to focus on. And you see around this gigantic table, this council of allies, but you see so many different, you know, things. If you really stop to look at them, there are so many different, you know, kind of more military-esque type uh, individuals in their, their garb. There are people who are wearing really fine, expensive, elaborate clothes. There are, you know, very well-to-do, like, Rhett Butler-looking dudes standing there with their twirled mustaches, you know, speaking out against, you know, making a direct strike against an imperial installation. Um, a lot of them start talking about how they don't want a war. That's not what this is supposed to be about. You know, if this is what this is, then, you know, we have no right. hope. There's no point. And you kind of have to step back and wonder, is that that one person's perspective on it as a leader? Or is that that one person's political opinion because they still have to kind of operate within the Imperial Senate or the, the Galactic Senate. And they still have an entire, you know, planet or system that they're responsible for. So is it not possible that some of them were looking out for their interests and that's why they were a little more resident, you know, about going into a war and stepping into a battle where there could be, you know, innumerable, ca you know, uh, casualties 
casualties and loss of, you know, necessary uh, equipment and resources. But a lot of it just kind of makes you wonder, seeing how things did work within the Senate, if there wasn't some kind of back, you know, back closed door, very, you know, the room where it happened type meetings where, you know, either the screws were put to them or, you know, they just folded like a lawn chair. It's it's kind of the overall thing with the dark side. It, It doesn't seem like anybody is really untouched by it. So to say that all of these people came together as, uh, you know, allies and they agreed on everything. And then when you're in a clutch moment where you've got to make this enormous decision and because three of the seven people around the table aren't in, everybody backs off and you're just sitting on your hands. Right. So I always thought that was interesting how it was never one person that kind of controlled the whole show until after Scarif. After Scarif, you know, they kind of got a little bit more confident, but they also kind of really had a clear picture of what the stakes were. And they kind of, in a way, had a responsibility at that point to continue on with the course of action that they had, you know, been forced into. But also, you know, finding out what happened on Scarif, having reports of who was there and who was, you know, attacking Bail Organa's ship or Captain Antilles' ship with uh, Princess Leia on it. You know, it's kind of at that moment, you're in it. There is no backpedaling out of it. So a lot of it that could have propelled the Rebel Alliance forward um, after Rogue One could be fear. Um, It could also be, you know, the fact that they've kind of put their foot in it. So, I mean, there's really no, there's no choice but to continue on. But we do see later on throughout the other films that, you know, there are allies that drop away. There are people who pull out. There are people who don't believe in, you know, the the overall message of what they were attempting to do, um, like Saul Guerrera. And you see a lot of the allies around Empire and Re- Return of the Jedi kind of dwindling and pulling away from, you know, allocating large amounts of their resources to this battle that is draining the galaxy's kind of life force because it just won't end. And even, you know, in the sequel trilogies, you see that with The Force Awakens and you see it with The Last Jedi, um, particularly The Last Jedi when they're stuck on crate and they're, you know, frantically sending out, you know, Leia's private personal signal to all of their old allies. And the response is, is we've been heard but nobody's coming right well i think um part of this go back to um the rebellion coming together and making a major change in the leadership right around scarif uh i believe also you could you could go back and look at um where we're at i believe before scarif really until that time in the rebellion because you gotta think it's about the same time uh, just a little after rebels the t- show rebels ends um, we find that the rebellion really isn't a, the rebel alliance yet. It's a bunch of small little rebel cells that are loosely linked together a little bit. And there's not, I wouldn't say there's a full on major rebel alliance until you get to the end of Star Wars Rebels. Because the beginning of it, nobody's, everybody's working on their own pretty much. By the time you get to the end, we do see, okay, the Mothma, Mon Mothma and some of the other ones are putting together what <clears> would <throat> become the alliance. 
But until we get to that point, um, you're right. It would everybody would be looking after their own interests because that's what they do. They've always taken care of their own people and fought the fight the way they fight it. I mean, and you also say like I haven't watched Rebels and I haven't watched the Clone Wars yet. Um, I'm gonna take care of that on vacation. River Song has made it her mission to get me through both of the series, all of them, while I'm out there for two weeks. So it's just gonna be like two nights of nothing but like mm, straight Clone Wars. But uh, I, long nights. Good luck. Doing, oh, I believe me. <laughs> enough Red Bull and pretzels. I'm good. I mean, I like I can sit and I can watch Star Wars until my eyes melt. I'll literally pass out before I'll miss anything or turn it off. But um, in clips and stuff that I've seen, I mean, you do see in you know kind of the special features of Attack of the Clones. You see, um, is that Attack of the Clones or is it Revenge of the Sith? I think it's Revenge of the Sith. Because uh, Padme, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and then like two other senators that I don't think are um, identified are meeting privately in Bail Organa's kind of like chambers or whatnot. And they're discussing the possibility of, you know, what should we do if these rumors about, you know, this dark rising happening, you know, they, they kind of had a, 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 an idea that something was on the, on the horizon and they were kind of trying to play the safe hand of, we all need to agree that we will support each other and we will band together and we will do whatever is necessary to preserve the Republic. And in a way, you know, it's admirable for people to take that kind of initiative. But realistically, the, the main kind of tripping hazard for the any any of the republic you know kind of planetary systems or governing bodies or anything but the main stumbling block was they were so entrenched with having a full kind of opinion and something that was you know agreed upon by every person that was in it that it held them back you you didn't have one person leading everything that was making the decisions or the calls, which is why after all of that, when we come into the sequel trilogy, we primarily see just Leia making the calls, just Leia being in charge of everything and, you know, kind of bearing the weight of everything, you know, the losses and, and everything like that. But when you look back towards some of the other instances with the Clone Wars or with, you know, uh, I'm assuming what happens in Rebels and then on into uh, Solo and Rogue One, you see a completely different kind of mentality about it where what was trying to be brought together in Revenge of the Sith just pulled further apart and it took what happened in Rogue One to kind of, you know, in essence get it to stick because they either a didn't have any other choices or b they chose their side. Right. Interesting ideas. I mean, it just kind of always uh, I, I mean Palpatine Palpatine liked to play it safe. Palpatine would have had an, an eventuality for everything, just like he had Order 66. Another thing that, you know, kind of played into the whole issue with the Rebel Alliance not being able to kind of see things a bit more clearly and, you know, kind of get their act together to begin with was the fact that they relied so heavily on the Jedi. And when the Jedi were gone, it was kind of like, well, what do we do? We have no 
warriors. We have no protectors. We have no guidance whatsoever. So the Jedi kind of becoming that that kind of uh, force for the Republic, you, you see, you know, the good and the bad of it. You see that, you know, it did accomplish great things. It, it They did help restore peace and prosperity to some of the, the planets that were at risk. But then in the end, you do also see where the Republic puts so much faith in these, in these men and puts so much pressure on these men that some of them crumbled beneath it. I think that, you know, also plays a very big role in what happened between um, Anakin and the Jedi Council and what happened between Anakin and Obi-Wan because he iconically tells him when he goes to meet him on, on Mustafar, you know, my, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy. And that is by far one of the least Jedi-like lines in any of the films because they're not supposed to have an allegiance to politics or to regimes or anything like that. They're, they're supposed to care about the people. And, you know, even Padme at, at one point says, you know, it's clear to me that the Republic no longer functions. And if she can see it as a young queen and then still continues to see the factionalization and the breaking of it and the inability to make decisive moves, which is a very Leia thing, um, always being concerned with, we need to do this, stop arguing with me. Um <laughs> it's kind of, it was a big mess from inception to execution. It was a big mess of people that were in and then they were out or they could, they would, they would only allocate so much resources to this. And then, you know, in the clutch moment, you're kind of doing the best you can with what you've got. I think that's to be expected of something like that though. It's not, it's not like a, it never was like a full organization. Well, I mean, I can see, I can see parts of that, but for the most part, you had a very milita- a militized uh, system set in place. There were generals, there were lieutenants, sergeants. That you had all of the ranking kind of elements of the military in place. So they were trying to militarize something that. Um, originally, like you, you were saying, were, was guerrilla warfare, like Saw Gerrera and Fist Nest and um, all of that. It was essentially guerrilla warfare that tried to be morphed into something that was meant to become stronger and more kind of resilient against the uh, the onslaught of the Empire. Because the, the Empire has resources it can throw at the Rebellion until, you know, the end of time. Like, it's inexhaustible wealth, inexhaustible reach. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What? Ken left. Well, he'll be back on. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. I was just like, huh? What? I didn't touch His anything. signal's been jammed. Yeah, first order. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it, it, it tried to become something. And you see that with the reinstall, uh, whenever they try to reincorporate, um, you know, the, the Jedi into the equation, which is, you know, kind of when Luke Skywalker shows up. And then later on, you see you co- the, the kind of damage that the legacy of the Skywalkers caused whenever Ben Solo turned to the dark side, because... That was kind of, you know, the family that was known for incredible deeds. And, you know, it could be incredible good or incredible bad. Anakin was known for doing incredible things as, you know, a member of the Jedi. He was incredibly, you know, known for doing incredibly horrific things 
when he became a Sith. But ultimately, like the Rebel Alliance was never, it never fully coalesced into a real threat as a militarized kind of centric thing. When it was broken into cells and they were attacking, you know, the installations or thieving or, you know, disrupting communications or things like that in little gorilla pockets, like with Emphis Nest or Saw Gerrera or, you know, even with Cassian Andor and Emphis in a Jen Ursa when they invaded Scarif. That was essentially a guerrilla warfare tactic. They weren't arriving with, you know, huge armadas, ships, you know, all over the place. That didn't come right. until after they had achieved their goal. And they're like, we got the plans. Come get us now, please. Right. So I feel like I'm thinking too much. <laughs> no, no. It's great conversation. Um, now, how, how would you take the... Uh, Consider the side of you know, the, if you flip it the other way that the rebellion may be actually the bad guys, and at this point in time, during the time of the the original trilogy, and not the Empire. During the time uh, time point of the of the original trilogy, I do see a lot of the like it, it. It kind of really is very telling in a line that Tarkin gives Vader in you know that little council table situation where he says you know. Um, he's dissolved the body completely. The regional governors shall now have control of their systems and fear will keep the other outlying uh, territories in under control. So it, it's really very telling that Tarkin is 100% confident in that actually being a functional plan, that that's something that he's almost sure is going to work. And with the regional governors, if you're a person in power and somebody approaches you with a choice of, okay, either you do what I tell you to do and you start working for me and, and you're going to become part of, you know, you're going to join us or, you know, essentially you might as well get ready because I'm going to declare you a traitor and I'm going to imprison you or, or kill you. If you're a senator that has been bought off at times or been swayed to a different different side before you're going to fold almost all the time. The few people who had the kind of resilience and the morals and the ideals of, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. Those people would have been very dangerous to the empire in that very kind of first beginning state where they've got complete power. They just have to kind of consolidate it. Right. And I think that, you know, he even talks about systems slipping through when, when Leia tells him, you know, the more you try to grip, uh, tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. So in a way, I think Leia was kind of using that line almost as a combative to the line he said previously about the regional governors taking control of the systems and fear keeping everybody else in line. Leia kind of came back at him like, no, dude, like you can't scare us. Like we will not quit. Like this is our course of action. We are committed to this course of action and we will win one way or the other. And she proves it later on whenever Alderaan is destroyed and they go to Dantooine and it's not the rebel base. Right. Well, actually, this fits in with, um, I just finished, I know um, you guys probably here haven't even had a chance to check it out, but the new Alphabet Squadron book, a lot of it, the, what you're seeing, I, about, um, the, no, none of the Imperials had clean hands goes into really deeply into the um, the background of this book itself. I'm about six or seven chapters in on the audio book. Okay. Because 
it, that, that's a major plot point for this book. The fact that um, as the imp- the war is coming to an end, what's the chances of the any Imperials? I don't care if you were a low level bureaucrat all the way up to um, fleet commanders actually being able to have life outside after the war without being hunted down for war crimes because the empire was run on everybody had their hands dirty in some way even if it was um looking the other way as something happened that still and the emperor had a list of everybody and what everybody did right so that you had you had to be loyal to the empire or everybody could find out what you did kind of like the way gangs work yeah uh, like it, it's it's also very kind of mob syndicate type mm-hmm. uh relationships where you know you kind of have a quid pro quo but if somebody doesn't start you know towing the company line then you know they end up sleeping with the fishes um but i mean yeah like the idea i've always kind of like thought about okay after everything is all said and done i haven't read the book yet i don't i don't even own it yet i'm trying to build up my my collection (laughs) slowly but surely i've Try, I was fighting, trying to decide on what to collect because everybody collects all sorts of different things. Primarily, I'm collecting books, T-shirts, and art, um, but, uh, and soon to be lightsabers. But um, primarily, like, you do kind of we, – we had a discussion on my show on Rebel Roses about um, the currency – um, of uh, Star Wars, the the coin of the the realm, and when you start digging into how the financial systems were set up, and then start breaking down the immense cost of the Empire fighting the rebellion, the rebellion fighting the Empire, and then even then the progression of the Empire, where it's building new installations, other places, it's taking resources from other places, it's constructing the Death Star, it's making new Star Destroyers. It's, you know, pouring money into certain systems for certain things. You have to kind of wonder if that system is doing that willingly or if that is some sort of backhanded agreement that's keeping them out of the conflict and keeping them in good with the one that they think, you know, they're betting on that horse to win the race. It could be both depending, you know, different systems could be different going different directions. Yeah. So you could have a little mix of both in in different systems. Yeah, I I see that with Cassian and with Bail Organa. Bail Organa was notorious for, you know, at the beginning of it, of everything, kind of still playing ball with some of the already declared imperial, um, uh, what's the word, systems, because they needed resources that they had plenty of. So he would use his his diplomatic kind of status to work out, you know, deals on the, on the, on you know on the quiet to then turn around and supply the rebels with what he was telling them you know may not necessarily have been for the rebellion it may have been for this poor outlying territory that needs meds and food and you know all of this other stuff so he gets what he needs and then he gives it to the people that he's really working for um Mm. so i mean i i could totally see people playing both sides kind of more as a like a covert um spy type mission because i I believe in the backstory for cassie and andor that was one of the things that he kind of it was able to propel him up through the ranks um to the rank he was in in rogue one where he's kind of been notorious for being a chameleon he's able to kind of slip in and out and work both sides of the line right so well you you were talking about collecting um did y'all hear about the new hasbro galactic snacking grogu 
that's coming out. Yeah. I saw a picture of it, but I didn't see any, de- de- any of the details. Uh, Hasbro will release this in October. It's a new take on the uh, on the young Jedi, I guess we could say, or Padawan to be. Um, it, it's featuring cute sounds, animated motions, and interactive accessories. Uh, he can munch on several included items, including a blue cookie, a bowl of soup with a squid-like creature, and can be fed with a spoon. He will also react to each and will let you know what he likes and what belongs in the trash compactor. In addition, he recognizes and responds to his favorite toy, even appearing to use the Force when playing with it. Uh, of course, these are all events inspired by Season 2. Um, and this is a follow-up to the uh, toy of the year, one of the Toy of the Year honors of The Child, the animatronic edition, uh, which was a landmark uh, release that was a hit with uh, from Hasbro last year. As long as they don't have him crunching on spiders, I'm happy. That's perfect. Like that was by far one of the the one episodes I had the most difficulty with. Mm. (laughs) I mean, it was. Yeah, those were kind of big spiders. It's it's the sounds too. That's like another thing that like Star Wars is notorious for finding a creature that is so unsettling visually. And then picking the perfect mixture of sound to go with that creature to the point where you're like, I can't watch this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had to stop in the middle. Like, once it, like, everything started skittering, I was like, nope, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Like, it took me, a, like, a good two or three hours to, like, get the creepy crawly things out of my brain so I could <laughs> sit down and finish it. But mm-hmm. I really don't like spiders. I don't I don't like bugs in general. I, I don't even like freaking ladybugs or butterflies, all right? So spiders <laughs> I really don't enjoy. And the skittering sound is what stuck with me for, like, three days. It's like the freaking hairy egg from season one. When they started pulling the gook out of it, I was just like, hey, <laughs> and then i saw they were making pillows out of it and everything and i'm just like this yeah. easter you know there's gonna be a freaking mudhorn cadbury cream egg that is just going to be a thing <laughs> of nightmares yeah well also coming from hasbro uh because in celebration of lucasfilm's 50th anniversary uh, from the books and comics straight to the Black Series line itself. And these are exclusive to, believe it or not, not Target, not Walmart, but online stores like Entertainment Earth, Big Bad Toys, a Big Bad Toy Store, uh, and a few others. Uh, starting. So they're going to be overpriced. Uh, $24.99 is <laughs> what they're going for. Yeah. Which has a been overpriced, yeah. a little overpriced, but it's been standard for the um, um, exclusives lately. Um, pulled from the Legends Tales, the heroes and villains were chosen for immortality. It started off with Luke Skywalker from Star Wars Heir to the Empire. And he comes with a Yisum, a Salamari, which is the uh, force dampening creature that uh, Thrawn uses to kind of help get an advantage on Luke in Heir to the Empire. So it's cool that it comes with that. Uh, And this is Luke, uh, pretty much like you see him on the cover. Now, in his black pants, a black muscle shirt, uh, his saber, uh, etc. Number two, we have Darth Maul 
from uh, the Darth Maul comics, I believe. Am I right? I think so. Um, this version of Darth Maul comes from the 2000 comic series set pre-Phantom Menace. Written by Ron Mars and penciled by... John or Jan Dersima, which I actually have a comic autograph by her because she did uh she did the Darth Talon book, I think from uh Tales of the Jedi. So I have to go look. Um Star Wars Darth Maul offers a glimpse into Maul's Sith training and sees him dispatch to handle a new threat to to his master. Uh he f- feels like an absolute gift anytime we can feature Maul in publishing and having an action figure Maul in costume uh, in a costume he has worn only in the comic books is really fun says uh, Heddle. Uh, at this point in the timeline he's full of rage and drive and poetic and is a la- uh, athleticism um, love the love the dyna- dynamism of this figure and it's the first time they're doing a shirtless Maul as well which is pretty cool. Did y'all happen to see that uh, Anakin figurine that was posted on the timeline today? I believe it was a, a Hot Toys Anakin. No, um, did not see that one. It, <clears throat> I, I saw it posted in my timeline and I clicked on it because I love Anakin, but I'm, I'm not really like, <clears throat> I'm not really built to collect toys. I, I don't like things staring at me when I'm in bed. Um, but, um, I was looking at it and one of the arms that it has in the box for the attachment is literally, I'm not even kidding, verbatim, the freaking winter soldier arm from Wakanda, the one mm. he gets from T'Challa, the oh, gold, wow. in, the, the gold lacing on it, the, the color of the metal itself, the way the metal is laid out, literally the winter soldier arm. So I went and I looked for a gif to see if I could find the arm, the new one that he got and I found one and I was like, holy crap, it it really is. Anakin stole Bucky's arm. (laughs) Uh, Well, the the third one in in this Black Series uh, lineup is Kier Kanos uh, from the Star Wars Crimson Empire. I think we talked about this one briefly last week, Derek. Yeah, because labeled. It, it's mislabeled in the pro, on the promo box as Connor Jacks, who yeah. is who he's looking for. So we're hoping either it gets fixed or this one may be worth getting if it stays as Connor Jacks. Or maybe a few will slip out and then it will get fixed. Yeah, uh, these are going to come with the purple lining inside the cape. Um and Heddle says uh, that uh, they were not familiar with the book series uh, until she started work until they started working at Lucasfilm. I don't know. I miss who Heddle is at the beginning of the story to know if it's a male or a female. That's why I'm saying they. Mm. Uh, let me go back mm. up. Jennifer Heddle. Okay, so I'm, I'm right. Executor editor of Lucasfilm Publishing. Wow. Um, she goes. I wasn't familiar until I started working with Lucasfilm. And if memory serves, I did shepherd it through. I did shepherd it through the end of its run. Uh, I was a big fan of the series. One of the coolest aspects of the series was seeing the ro- red-robed Imperial Guards in action, not just standing as we see them in Return of the Jedi. I think that was one of the things I liked about that series as well. Is we're following two for the most part. Mm. Um. And then finally, which this one's on my list for sure. Mm-hmm. Lady, as much. lady, gentlemen, common black series. And is, mo- is part of the modern continuity because of a Wookiee radio guest that we have had on the show 
Kevin Scott and his writing them into canon through Star Wars Adventures, Jackson. That's cool Jackson. that we're going to get a Jackson figure. My Jackson's own the rabbit guy, right? Yes. Yeah. See, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know a lot of the characters. Like my, I have a lot of. I've I've read the original trilogy. I've watched all of the films numerous times. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. But like, primarily, I'm still learning a lot of stuff, which is why, like, I I love coming on shows and talking with you guys because I am learning quite a bit of stuff. But like I saw that figure and I was like, it's a rabbit. What? Jackson. That's exactly what it is. Jackson was introduced originally in uh, Marvel Star Wars uh, seven or eight. I have the. Issue. Yeah, it was real early on. Yeah, and made a couple appearances throughout the the original run. Well, what's his character's like back? Is he like a bounty hunter? Is he imperial uh, or is he? No, I, he's a smuggler. Um, uh, if I remember right, uh, he, he was such a unique character back in the day. Uh, I'm and, sure everybody's going to hear this and be like, oh, my God, she doesn't know anything. Like, yeah, I don't. I've never been shy about saying it. I don't know. Hey, all anybody but, I, you know, it's OK, though. Yeah, there's all kinds of Star Wars fans that uh, never actually got a chance to read the original Marvel comics who have maybe heard of Jackson, but that's about it. <laughs> Jackson is. And really, he's a very minor character, so you don't really need to worry yeah, uh, about he is I a learn. I want to learn as much as I can about everything. Like I have bought like five encyclopedias the last couple of weeks that is supposed to cover like everything. So eventually, like I'm going to start pouring through those whenever I start cranking out more shows when I get back from uh, from vacation. But yeah, like I want to do everybody's stuff and I want to be able to do it, you know, in a way that it's kind of educational for me. But it also gives me the opportunity to still learn from everybody in the chat. Right. Well, he, he's originally a um, a Lepi smuggler. Uh, Le- Lepi is his race. Um, looking at the cover f- the the JTC cover uh, uh, it's been known as the party cover uh, for issue one when Star Wars came back. He's done Jackson in a more realistic look, sort of like uh, what we see in the figure, not what we have known from the original comics. Um, and I first appearance was Star Wars number eight, um, issue eight. It was in eight, nine, ten. 11 and 16 and then came back for when uh, because the original run was only 107 issues and then recently marvel did uh a legends continuation to kind of almost wrap up the book or wrap up that original series with a modern issue uh for issue 108 which is part of that canon even though it came out in 2019 that's fairly recent yep so feel quite so bad then for not knowing. Uh, but uh, issue eight still would have been nineteen seventy. Would have been seventy seven, seventy eight when that came out. Oh, that's way so, before. Yeah. I wasn't even a sparkle in my parents' eye until actually, like, yeah. In the StarWars.com article for this, it actually says um, he first appeared in issue eight of Marvel's series in seventy seven. Yeah, November November seventy seven. I remember I buying that. Do you guys, do you guys might be able to answer this for me. Since it is a Star Wars comic, but they did do a run through Marvel, would it still be considered Marvel comics or would it be considered Disney Lucasfilm 
you know, that arrangement now. What, with the current stuff? Uh, it's all Marvel comics. Like the, off the backlog stuff, is it still under contract from Marvel? Like Marvel still the proprietor owner of those stories because it was printed during that time period? Or is everything reverting all automatically over to all leadership? Everything that was under Dark Horse, um, I think it, you can read most of it on Marvel Unlimited, which is their app that has the library of various Marvel books. And a lot of the old Dark Horse comics are there, but are labeled. I think all the Marvels there also. All the Marvels yeah. are there, um, but the old Dark Horse ones have been re relabeled Marvel, if yeah. I remember right. I, actually, to answer the question, though, I think. Or, there, um, or there's no man or there's no publisher tag on it at all well i'm thinking back in the day when lucas had them do this i think um lucasfilm still retained the rights to everything that was published it was just published under the marvel banner and the same thing happened with uh, dark horse dark horse was given the rights to publish it but lucasfilm still owns all owned all of that so that now that um marvel has it again (laughs) that's why they're able to reprint all of this stuff because it's still all owned by Lucasfilm. Right. Mm-hmm. And also, too, back at that time, you, you had two different timelines and two different continuities for the comics. Because you had the Marvel comics, and then you had what was in the newspapers. And the newspaper comics were totally different story arcs, totally different uh, plots, even though they all they were all events that took place during the same time period. And, and the two did not interweave with each other at all. Well, let me ask. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, let me ask you guys a question since I I am trying to um, learn as much as I can and, and, you know, kind of amass my vast collection of, you know, I'm going to have to buy a new bookshelf. Um, What book would each of y'all recommend me to definitely get and have in my collection? For actually like novel type book or um, reference books? Either or. I'm addicted to either or. Mm. My go-to is always... Um, if you've never delved into the old Legends continuity at all, get the Thrawn trilogy, the original Timothy Zahn Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire, Empire. Dark Wars, yep. Last Command. Because that was what Star Wars back to everybody's um, consciousness in the early 90s. I found one of them as I've got a first edition of, I think it's the last book by Timothy Zahn that I found. I just don't have the yeah. first two. They actually um, re-released. Hang on. Yeah. A couple of years ago, they re-released for the 20th anniversary *Heir to the Empire* um, in a brand new hardcover that actually has like annotations in the uh, margins from Zahn as he was writing stuff. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I have that one. Hang on, let me turn off the blur here so you guys can see this. Wait, yeah, wrong button. So yeah, see if you can. All right, I can see that guy. Yeah, I've seen that one. I just wasn't sure what it was about. Yeah. So this is gonna... the this is the first book in the series. Um, they I, they didn't release the other ones, but but yeah, that one I I've not I gotta sit down and actually read through that now because it's been a while since I've read those anyway. Uh, what about you, Derek? Um, well, if you're talking about um reference books as well. Um, of course, any of the encyclopedias are always good. Uh, um, and there was a book that came out, I think it was 2019. It's a new edition of old, the old Star Wars, the definitive guide to the Star Wars universe. That's always a good one. Okay, I'll have to look for that one. I don't, don't remember the name of any of <clears throat> I've got the... 
Ultimate Star Wars, uh, the Star Wars comics, um, Star Wars, the complete visual dictionary. That's a good one. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I've got, ah, ow, my toe, uh, Star Wars year by year, a visual chronicle. Mm. That's a good one. It is heavy. Uh, are you looking for current canon? I I, I want to learn as much as I can about everything. I'm not stuck. <clears throat> I'm not stuck on just canon stuff. I want to learn about the EU too, because um, from what little I've kind of had experience with with the EU, and it's been very limited, um, just to like research and stuff. It seems like those stories are a lot more my speed. They're okay. a lot more detailed. They're a lot more um, kind of rich in environment and detail and character progression and character development. So, well, I actually just have to be careful because the problem with the EU was one, it was it never canon. Little, it wasn't even canon back in the day. Yeah, there was that. But it also, it eventually, the EU got very convoluted. Very inconsistent, too. Yeah. Inconsistent, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't really, like, uh, I've had canon kind of, just like being up front and honest with you guys, I've had canon used as a weapon against me. Um, a lot. So it's kind of ruined um, that that word's taste in my mouth. Um, I don't really like like anything that can be turned around and flipped on somebody who's just trying to enjoy something and, you know, somebody use it as a, you're not a real fan if you don't know this, this, and this. And <clears throat> that doesn't matter because it's not legitimate. And I don't, uh, like canon to me, it's something to be appreciated. It's something to be acknowledged. But it's not something that I kind of hang my love for something on. Right. This thing's a good story and it's got a good character and it's something that I find meaningful and it resonates with me. I could care less if it was canon or not. It's a good story. All the Legends material, I mean, there's great stories. But as it's been stated many, many times by us, by Lucas, by Lucas Story Group. I mean, George Lucas himself even said. The books back in the day were not, I mean, he, he said it then, it's not canon. It's it's licensed fiction to my universe. I have allowed the license, I've allowed these authors to use the license to write their stories. And that's incredible. I wish they would still continue to do that. They they well, are, again, but the it's, is- it's all being can be made more canon that way it, it can they be can referenced the narrative more yes i can see it adding to the narrative but in a, in a lot of in a lot of ways i have to say that like i kind of do view not the material that's considered canon but the use of the tool that is canon like right. canonizing something i do see that more as a tool of like industry of commerce and, where and that's you know, that's what pay 20 times more for something that's got that little seal on it than you know and it may not necessarily be a better story or you know may not necessarily resonate with you as much as you know something else but i just wish they'd get in the habit of just good stories are good stories like right. i mean a timeline is great and it's something to you know kind of it adds definition to things Things, but like overall, like I, I really kind of think that Star Wars was meant to be shared. And when you start kind of building walls around things, 
it kind of makes it so much more um, dividing than it does unifying. But that's that's one way to look at it. But I personally, I don't see it as them building walls. I see them, I see it as them focusing on things so everything can remain the same. Because, like I said, the I couldn't even keep up with with the EU because it just got so crazy. It was just so right. much stuff, and it was just. It just I, I was never a big fan of the EU stuff. Oh, yeah, I mean, let me clarify. I don't mean I don't mean any of this in reference to Disney or George Lucas or Lucasfilm or anything. I'm talking about how that is actually used within our community. There, oh, yeah. You know, everybody's had everybody's had a run in and, you know, had a bad experience. But like my experience really kind of took it to the point where like I cringe when I hear the word canon. But, you know, I, I I've kind that, of that's worked. unfortunate. I I've, I've worked past that, though, to the point where I can appreciate it just the same way I appreciate everything else. Um, you know, whether a story is, you know, legitimate or not, if it's good and I like it, that's all that matters. And I mean, that's kind of the take and point of view that I have on anything. It doesn't really matter if everybody accepts it. Do you accept it? Because storytelling kind of, you know, evolved through sitting in a room and listening to somebody tell you a story. And then two weeks later, somebody's going to tell you the same story, but it'll be so much different. And that's all really like every story is it's something that's different because everybody's going to attach themselves to different things within that stories there are some people who are really connected to the characters some really connect to the politics and the social hierarchy and you know that kind of backstory people love you know the the weaponry and the vehicles and you know the planets and things like that so it's kind of you know what speaks to you and kind of makes you that that kid that hears about it for the first time and has to have that or has to know more. That's right. the, the overall kind of spirit of Star Wars to me. Uh, for me, the, the, yeah, the, the go ahead, Derek. I was going to say the problem is, and you're and you're right. Be using like using it as a weapon against you. That's not what it's supposed to be. Right. It's just it's supposed to be a way to just everything tight tightly knit together and centralized. Yeah. So that it's so everything becomes branches off you know off of a single tree. Right. Well, for me, the books I would recommend uh, actually tie into uh, Galaxy's Edge and that whole new universe or that whole new aspect of the universe that is still fairly new to the world. And that would be the, the Galaxy's Edge cookbook and the Traveler's Guide to Batu. That sounds awesome. That is one of the books that I never really thought about getting was a cookbook. That cookbook is awesome. It really is. I would 100% use a cookbook and make recipes out of it. My family would look at me weird, well, weirder, because as I've kind of like started, like my family don't get the whole like Star Wars things. They, they're not a, they're not a fan. <laughs> like ironically, I found Star Wars when I was 11 because my dad bought the wrong DVD or not DVDs, but the VHS copies, the original like VHS copies of Star Wars thinking it was what my mom was into. And she's a, she's a Star Trek fan. So she she doesn't like Star Wars at all. Oh, 
Where where can people find you online? See, that kills me too because we're both fans of both. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I had never had any like ex- like my kind of exposure to Star Trek was primarily like the new films. I never got to see um, any of the old stuff, and I kind of like I very much swerved kind of really hard into Star Wars just because I kind of seemed to you know resonate with a bit more of the storylines and it's got laser swords. I mean, right? Where can people but, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me online on YouTube. I have the YouTube channel, which is um, uh, Rebel Roses Podcast. Um, I also have uh, an audio side of the uh, podcast where I do the channel chat rewinds. Um, I'm doing three audiobooks, soon to be four. Uh, I actually have a Winter Soldier story that I had been working on um, a while ago, like a long time ago, and just never posted it anywhere. But now with the new TV series and everybody kind of, you know, asking questions and looking into, you know, possibilities and theorizing things, I was like, eh, it might be time to add that to the repertoire and see what anybody has to say about that. Um, I also do um, a blog on WordPress. Um, I generally write an article on any of the uh, channel chat topics um, before we cover them on the YouTube channel, um, just to kind of, you know, set the base of where I, my perspective is, is on the character. So whenever we go to actually film and do the live stream, um, everybody's had a chance to kind of read over my thoughts and, you know, have their questions or have their points to make. And it just kind of, you know, gives us a bit of a rudder, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, WordPress, uh, YouTube, I'm, uh, the audio was available on Podbean, Google podcasts, Pandora, Amazon, uh, Spotify. And I think that's it for the moment. Okay. Well, on that note, guys, I'm going to wrap it up for us. There's only one thing left to be said. Give the evacuation code signal. All right, cut the chatter. Jet, I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. I have placed information vital to the survival of the rebellion into the memory systems of this R2 unit. I've lost R2. I'm Tony Heave. And we host the Watchathon of Rassilon. A podcast where we watch every episode of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. It's like an idiot's guide to Doctor Who. And where are the idiots? The Watchathon of Rassilon, a Doctor Who podcast made by idiots. And a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping with the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This has been a Weeby Geeks production.